You're listening to audio from Calvary Baptist Church of Port Austin. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about us, please visit cbcportaustin.org. Today, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, that's page 720 in the Pew Bible, if you want to follow along. And we have made it. We are at the end of Ecclesiastes. I'm not sure what your thoughts have been on this book, um, but God has really used it in my heart, in my life, in really remarkable ways. I was telling Shannon um, just this morning, just all the ways that God has just really used Ecclesiastes in ways that I didn't even plan on kind of preaching. When I picked Ecclesiastes and I prayed about which book to do next, I had no idea what it would do in my life, in my heart. And so I've really, really enjoyed it. And as we come to this final passage in the book, Solomon is going to bring something that's very simple um, and profound at the same time. He's really going to talk about the topic of wholeness um, and how we can be whole as human beings. And you see a lot of Christians know that God is loving and, and we know that, that he's a God who cares about us because he sent Jesus for us. But we also think he's kind of strict. And he's kind of a killjoy at times. That's what a lot of Christians think. And, and so you can't smoke, you can't chew, and you can't run with girls that do. And so what's the fun in that, right? And so, and so what happens is, unfortunately, we have a very myopic view of God where, where it's very temporary. It's very right in front of us. And basically, we see something fun. We see that the Bible says we can't do it. And so we think God doesn't want us to have fun. And unfortunately, what, when we take that view, we never take into account the fact that God is the designer of the universe. And so God set things up a certain way, and not only that, sin has entered and it's blinded us to reality. And so when we look at something fun and we see that God prohibits it, rather than think, God doesn't want me to have fun, think, he's the creator. And so if he said not to do that, there's probably a good reason not to do that. And yeah, there may be pleasure in that for a little bit, But real joy, lasting joy, God-ordained joy is only going to happen when we do what God has graciously given us to do in his word. And so rather than look at the commands in the scriptures as as, um, unnecessary boundaries that we're not allowed to pass, look at them as boundaries for your joy, for your flourishing as a human being. And that's really what Solomon has tried to show us in this book. He said, I took the commands of scripture and I said, forget about it. I'm going to do what I want to do. And so he went his own way and tried everything you can imagine under the sun for pleasure. And he came up empty every time. And so when he comes to the end of this book, he's going to summarize it um, in a few short lines with the end of the matter. And so let's open with a word of prayer and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your commands aren't grievous. Lord, thank you that they're there for our joy. And um, Lord, I just pray that all of us would have a bigger view of you and just remember that you created our capacity for joy. You created our, our ability to enjoy things. Um, and so, Lord, help for us to, to realize when there's a command in your word that it's, it's for our good. And, Lord, I just pray that as we walk through this text today that you would be lifted up. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll start in verse 9 of Ecclesiastes 12. And here the text is going to kind of shift to the third person and describe Solomon um, and his teaching. In verse 9 it says, And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. So what that's saying is Solomon took great care in weighing and studying and arranging his teaching, and not only in this book, but in all of the 3,000 plus proverbs that he wrote. And he was very logical in his writing. 
So he's not just throwing out random things. He's carefully weighing it and putting out things that are logical for us. And I think we've seen that in this book. Um, But not only that, verse 10 says, The preacher sought to find out acceptable words. And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. The word acceptable here has the idea of delightful. And so he didn't just write with logical clarity. He also wrote with literary beauty. And again, I think we've kind of seen that in this book. And in fact, Tom Wolfe, a famous American writer, described Ecclesiastes this way. He said, it's the highest flower of poetry, eloquence, and truth. The greatest single piece of writing I have known. And so I thought that was an interesting thing. And I mean, if you can remember some of the beautiful lines of poetry that are scattered throughout this book, like chapter 3, where he gives a time for everything. And that just really resonates with us. It's beauty. So... Um, Solomon is wise and he's logical and he's carefully weighing and he's choosing which ones to teach us. But not only that, he's going to teach us in a way that's beautiful and eloquent and and poetic. And and then in verse 11, um, he says this, The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. Um, So he is logical. He's also beautiful in his writing, but he's not going to sacrifice truth. Um, He's also going to give words that are upright and truthful that verse 10 said. And here... It said that a goat is like a cattle prod. And so it says that his words are like a sharp stick that kind of poke us to keep us on the path. Okay, so if a cattle starts to go off, a guy will take a cattle prod and just kind of stab a bit in the ribs and get him back on the path. And, and that's what Solomon's words were meant to do. They're, they're meant to kind of poke us a little bit, kind of stab us, kind of wake us up. And I think we've kind of seen that, that his words are sharp and painful at times, but they're, they're good for us. They're, they're to keep us on the path, to give you a few examples, he says things like, your life is redundant and empty, right? He says, you're chasing the wind. Stop it. He says, hey, you're going to die. It's the one thing you can expect in this life. So live in accordance with that. And, and things like that, that you kind of, as we're reading, we're like, whoa, like, is that even biblical? But it is. He's, he's using that cattle prod to get us back on the path. Like, hey, wake up. <laughs> you're chasing the wind. You got to wake up. Um, and then it says they're fastened as nails. And that probably refers to um, the fact that the goal of this wisdom is to stick in our minds. And so um, one commentary put it this way. His wise words were like goads that prick and nails that stick. I like that. Goads that prick and nails that stick. And then the end of the verse says that the words were ultimately given by one shepherd. Now, if you have a modern translation, it probably capitalizes the word shepherd. And the reason for that is because many scholars believe it's referring to the Lord. Um, When it says the shepherd, that was a messianic term. The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. And so because all throughout the book, he's referred to himself as preacher. And now all of a sudden shepherd shows up. They think he's referring to something or someone different than himself. And this is probably a declaration of divine inspiration. So he's saying this isn't just Solomon's words or my words. These are the words from the shepherd himself, namely the Lord. And so that's kind of a cool claim there too in the old testament and then in verse 12 he says and further by these my son be admonished of making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh and i looked back at my bookshelf and i was like yeah you're right about that uh just books after books after books and there's no end to it and um so solomon is giving us a warning he's saying beware you can know a lot of stuff and you can read forever and you can still not be wise and so don't get caught up in studying and reading and trying to figure this all out at the sacrifice of what matters most. And then he's going to summarize, summarize the entire message of the book in a twofold statement. And he's first going to remind us what we should do, and then he's going to tell us why we should do it. And so my point today, first of all, what should we do? All right, so he, he wrote this whole book, 
And it was all a cattle prod to kind of stab us, to get us back on the path. So what should we do, Solomon? After everything that you said, what should we do? Verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So it's like he's saying all has been heard. And when everything is said and done, here's the bottom line. Fear God, keep his commandments. Simple as that. Fear God, keep his commands. Summarize the entire book of Ecclesiastes in two lines. Fear God, keep his commandments. So what does it mean to fear God? Well, we did cover this in chapter 5, if you remember. If you missed that sermon, you can go on the website. I kind of took a a long time to define that because it's such a um, big theme throughout Scripture. But to fear God is to have the right attitude about him. It's, it's a mixture of holy dread and glowing love. It's terror and amazement. It's awe and wonder at who he is. And those who are outside of Christ and who are not Christians fear in a different way than those who are in Christ. We, we recognize that he's our father now, and, and, but he's still the holy God of the universe who just spoke this all into existence. And so there should be an awe, a wonder of who he is. And remember, this is not the first time that Solomon has said to fear God. You've seen this all throughout the book. And Philip Ryken um, summarized it for us. He says, at various points, the preacher has told us to fear God. First of all, because his work is eternal. And that's in, in chapter 3, and where he says, hey, you should fear God because you can't control things. Things just kind of happen at times that you can't control. And his work is eternal. Next, um, he demands holy worship. That was chapter 5. Where he said, don't go walking into the house of God um, as a foolish person, just kind of throwing up your praises without recognizing whose presence you are in. And then he's told us to fear God in times of adversity and prosperity. And that was chapter 7. We talked about that a little bit. And then he told us to fear God because it'll go well with us in chapter 8. And so all throughout the book, he's been telling us, fear God. Fear God. Have the right attitude about God. Have a God-centered life. Keep God in your radar. Remember your creator. Things like that. And, and so we fear God, but then we keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. And this is simply to do what he says to do. And if you think about it, it's the overflow of fearing God. So when you recognize who God really is, the only appropriate response to that is to obey him. <laughs> right? Like if he made everything, and he spoke this all into existence, and he put me here... I should probably obey what he says to do. And that's why a lot of um, scientists who argue for evolution or try to, maybe they see um, evidence of a creator, so they say, well, maybe little aliens um, designed us. They don't want to admit that there's a God because they don't want to allow a divine foot in the door. And that's a quotation from an atheist. He said, I don't want to allow a divine foot in the door. And the reason for that is because when you say there's a God, it's inherent that there's accountability to that God. He created us, and so we're accountable to him. And so to fear God and to keep his commandments um, really go together beautifully because if you have the right attitude, then you're going to have the right action. Now, I do want to say that for some of us, um, again, we forget that his commandments are for our joy. And so we compartmentalize God into thinking that, that our view of him consists of coming to church once a week and giving him money. And if you remember a few weeks ago, I said that, that a lot of Christians have the, the idea that a preacher is there to, to preach these sermons, to kind of change their behaviors, to make them good little church members, um, so that God is happy. But that is not at all what God is after. He's not after your religion. He's not after your church attendance. He's not after your money. He's not even after your behavior. He's after your heart. He's after you. And all throughout the Bible, you're going to see God saying, I hate your rituals. Because you don't actually love me. 
And Jesus, remember, he, he summarizes it all, all the commandments of the law, by saying, love God and love others as yourself. What God is after is true, genuine worship from the heart. And so we, what, what's awesome about that is when he gives a command, he's not just being a, a hard, strict taskmaster just for the sake of being it. He put that command for our joy to steer us back to where we need to go for flourishing, for his glory, and for our good. And so that's a good way to keep in mind that when we do keep his commandments, we are stepping into unspeakable joy. And whenever we go our own way, it leads to brokenness. There's pleasure for a season, but it always leads to brokenness. And so what should we do? Fear and obey God. Have the right attitude and have the right actions. And it's really quite simple. And so next, why should we do it? Right? There's, there's always, it's always good to get the why. Sometimes you don't get the why, right? It's like a little kid, like, hey, um, your parent tells you to do something, and you say, why? And they say, because I said so, right? I hated that response as a kid. I always wanted to know why. Why do we have this rule? And um, thankfully, Solomon is not going to leave us hanging here. He's going to give us the why behind why we should do it, okay? So verse 13 again, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So we should fear God and keep his commandments for two reasons he gives here. First, it's the whole duty of man. And secondly, judgment is coming. Okay, so two reasons. First, it's the whole duty of man. What does that mean here? Well, interestingly enough, as I was studying, um, the word duty is actually not found in the Hebrew. Um, It can be implied by the structure um, and it's a good translation to put it there. It's not saying, I'm not saying it shouldn't be there, but a more literal translation would say this is the whole of man. In other words, this is the totality of your being. Okay, this is what life is all about. This is the essence of what man is supposed to do, which I, I thought was really cool. Charles Bridges explains it this way. To fear God and keep his commandments is his whole happiness in business. The total sum of all that concerns him, all that God requires of him, all that the Savior enjoins, all that the Holy Spirit teaches and works in him. So to fear God and to keep his commandments is the essence of our existence. Like that is what we were created to do for the sake of his glory and for the sake of our joy. It's always been that way. And so the first reason Solomon gives is is that when you do this, you're actually stepping back into wholeness. And every command in scripture that God gives is a gracious little glimpse of how things are supposed to be in this messed up world. And so, and and we were going through this book this past summer and and Diane mentioned, she said, what if just people would obey this? Like, how would the world be, right? Like, it would just be so much better if people would just obey scripture and and actually try to live this way by God's grace. And, and, And that's true because that's how God designed it to work. And you've heard people say this, I'm sure, your whole life, but every time you obey scripture, Every time you do what God's word says, it's going to lead you to greater joy. But every time you go your own way, it's going to lead to brokenness. And that's what he's saying here. Your whole being, your essence, who you are is wrapped up in this idea of worshiping God, having the right attitude of God, fearing God, having reverence for God, and then just doing what he says to do. That's what Solomon says. But not only that, he says also, remember, judgment is coming. And that's in verse 14, for God shall bring every work into judgment 
with every secret thing. That's kind of scary, right? Whether it be good or whether it be evil. Um, I, I remember teaching some teens one time and I said, imagine if God could take a little um, device and kind of plug it in your, in your brain right now. We could put all of your thoughts this past week up on the screen. And um, there, there was some terror in the eyes of some of those teens as I was talking about that. It is scary to think about, but we forget a lot of times that God already sees that. He's not like, oh, oh man, that, yeah, that's pretty bad. No, like he saw it when it was happening. He saw it when, when he was thinking of it, and he's keeping track of it all, which that, that's pretty scary too. Like he has a book where he's just keeping track of everything. And so thankfully for those of us who've trusted in Christ, like we talked about earlier, rested and received Christ, um, those of us who've done that, our sins are covered by the blood, but that doesn't take away the fact that we are going to be judged. And a lot of people say, well, there's no tears in heaven, so things are going to be great. Um, but there's no tears after he wipes away the tears. And so there's an indication there that there's going to be a lot of tears at judgment. A lot of regret. A lot of wasted lives here on this earth. And Solomon's reminding us, hey, don't waste your life. Judgment is coming. Eternity is coming. So live in light of that. And for those who aren't Christians, he's saying, you better wake up. You're going to stand before God and give an account. And your sins aren't covered by the blood of Jesus. And everything is being kept in track. And so, so it's a reminder that judgment is coming. And so what are we to do? We're to fear God and obey Him. Why should we do it? Because it's the essence of who we are. And we're going to be judged based on how we do it. And so those are the, the things that Solomon gives here. And, and as we think about this, and we think about the fact that Solomon all throughout the book has been saying vanity of vanities, right? He's been saying it's all a puff of smoke. It's all chasing the wind and none of it really matters. You kind of get the idea, well, then why do anything? Um, but remember, there's a key phrase all throughout the book and that's under the sun. Under the sun. And so Solomon is absolutely right. Nothing about this sin-cursed world that we're living in can bring lasting contentment and satisfaction. Your career, your health, your money, your possessions, your social status... None of it really matters under the sun. None of it can bring you meaning under the sun. But as Christians, remember, we can see beyond the sun. And what Solomon does here is he points us beyond the sun. And he says, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. So in a sense, we know that there's more to this earthly life. And we know that things do matter. And I love what Philip Ryken says. He says, the final message of Ecclesiastes is not that nothing matters but that everything matters. Everything matters. Because judgment is coming. Every secret thing, every word and thought and deed. And, and you know what's so encouraging about this? For those of you who are getting involved and, and you decide, I'm going to come clean the church. You know, God sees that and he's writing that down. For those who say, you know what, I, really, I, I want to reach my, my neighbors and my coworkers with the gospel. I want them to know about the joy they can have in Jesus. And, and you try to share that and, and no one else sees it. No one else notices it. God notices it. For those of you who take a stand when it's not very fun to take a stand, you take a stand for what's right and for what his word teaches, God sees that. For those of you who wake up a little early and you say, man, I don't want to get up early, but I know I need to spend time in God's word before I go off to work today. God <coughs> sees that. That's encouraging for us. And so the final message of Ecclesiastes is not that nothing matters, but that everything matters. And one day you will stand before God and you will give an account for the things that are good and the things that are bad. And, and that's encouraging for us as Christians. So we fear God and we keep his commandments because that's really what life is all about. And one day we're going to be judged. 
And so it's a pretty simple message today. It's pretty easy to grasp, but that really is the whole of Ecclesiastes. And I kind of want to quickly remind you of where we've been, because it has been a long journey as we walk through this book. Solomon began the book, if you remember, by telling us that life is short, redundant, and unsatisfying. You remember that? It was like, really, we're going to preach through this whole book? Is that what it's all about? And, and he just kind of showed us that it's a circle, and, and you're going to live a few years, you're going to die, and no one's going to remember you, and the, and the earth's just going to keep on spinning. And, and he was trying to wake us up. Like, you think you're going to make a big difference in this life? Like, do you even remember your great, 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 great grandfather? Probably not, right? And so that was his point. He's saying, stop thinking that that you're going to leave some legacy, that you're going to change the world in some way, and recognize that life under the sun and the here and now, it's a puff of smoke. It's vanity. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. That was how he started the whole book. And then he launches this experiment. And he kind of takes us with him. And he says, "I I want to show you some things. I want to show you all the places that I looked for meaning and satisfaction. And, and he really tells some crazy, crazy stories about some of the things he did. And, and we walked through a lot of it. He had the, the craziest parties in history, right? We read about all the, the food and things that he needed just for one day um, to, to feed everybody. And we read about the fact that if he wanted a band, he would bring the band to the palace. He would just buy them. He didn't download it to his, his little device. He would just buy the whole band, have live music all the time. We talked about all the women. 700 wives and 300 concubines, like, like just completely um, whatever he wanted, he would go and get it. Um, he found that a lot of that was meaningless, and so he started to build large structures, and he thought maybe that would bring purpose and meaning. And, and for men, sometimes that does feel good to, to build something with your hands, but he said, no, that was empty too. And so he went to wisdom, and he, and he read books, and he searched literature, and he tried to figure it all out with wisdom and meaning, and he said that just made him more frustrated. Because there's certain things that are crooked that God made crooked and you can't straighten out with your wisdom. And all throughout the book, he's showing us that everything, when we chase anything under the sun except for God, it's like chasing the wind. It's a puff of smoke. It's here and it's gone and, and we're wasting our time. And so Solomon here in this book all throughout is begging us to not look to earthly pleasures for satisfaction because he did. He did, and it left him wanting. And, and this is easy for us to kind of nod and agree and for me to preach, but it's harder on Monday, right? It's harder when you're actually going through your week and, and there is a decision to be disciplined and, and do something for God or to, to choose something that we would rather do in the here and now. But, but Solomon is saying, hey, stop. Stop chasing the wind. And again, I've said this a couple times in this series, but what's terrifying for me as a pastor is to realize that no one in here will ever have the resources that Solomon had. Like, we will never get to that point. We will never achieve all of our goals like he did. We will never have the money that he did. And, and men, you will never have 700 wives and 300 concubines. And that's a good thing, by the way. But, but you'll never have that. And so you're never going to have what Solomon had. And so what, what, what's terrifying for me is to think that you're going to chase and chase and chase and chase and chase the wind and then die on the treadmill of life unhappy. And that's why I think a lot of the, the biggest stars in our culture that, that make it to the top end up in depression or end up with suicide because they, they made it. Like, what, like a lot of times what keeps us going in life is, is the motivation of something ahead of us. But when, when those people got there and they looked around and they said, this is it, it, it was too much for them to bear. And they had to end their own lives. 
But here in this room, I doubt that any of us are going to reach everything we want to reach and make all the money we want to make and have all the pleasure and joy that we want to have in this life like Solomon did. And I think one of the reasons God allowed Solomon to get to this point was so that he could say that he had done everything under the sun and that none of it brought lasting joy and meaning. I mean, one of the few people in history to be able to say, like, unparalleled almost, that I, I tried and I did everything. Been there, done that. Name it, I've done it. Solomon, that's what he's saying. We, we looked at the fact that he was, he'd be worth about $2.2 trillion today. Like, the guy was just loaded. He had everything um, at his fingertips, but he remained wise through it all as a gift from God. And then he gave us this book to say, hey, stop chasing the wind. Stop chasing the wind. And so what I want to do, what I think Solomon, I think, is, is trying to get us to do today is to honestly ask this question, am I chasing the wind? I want you to honestly ask this right now. I don't want you to, to zone out or, okay, we're almost done here. I want you to honestly ask the question, am I chasing the wind? Because that's what this book has been all about. He's trying to wake us up. He's taking that, that, that cattle prod and poking us in the ribs to wake us up and ask the question, Am I chasing the wind? Where am I looking for fulfillment? Is it money? Is it status? Is it success? Is it comfort? Is it our career? Is it our spouse? Is it our kids? Where are we looking for fulfillment today? Where are we looking for wholeness? Where are we looking for contentment and joy and, and, and peace? Where are we looking? Solomon's like, hey man, I, I, I did all of it. And I'm telling you, I'm begging you, wake up. None of that's going to satisfy. Only God can satisfy. And so as he wraps this whole book up, he's, he's saying, look, step into wholeness. Step into wholeness. Fear God and keep his commandments. It's what you were made to do. And I've been saying this from the beginning, and I'll keep saying it until the day I die, but only Jesus can satisfy only Jesus can satisfy. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is abundant life, and he offers it to all. And, and the sad thing is, some of us as Christians, we become Christians by faith, and we believe that heaven is coming, and, and we trust in heaven alone for salvation, but we don't experience eternal life now. We don't experience abundant life now. And he said, I've come to give you life, and life more abundant, here and in the future. And, and yes, there's suffering, but Jesus is enough. And you might not be rich, but Jesus is enough. And you might not get the money that you want, but Jesus is enough. And your spouse might leave you and your kids might not end up how you want them to end up, but Jesus is enough. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, fear God and keep his commandments. It's the whole duty of man. It's, it's the essence of who you are. Stop chasing the wind. That's what he's saying. That's what this whole book is about. And so I want you to ask the question. No one can ask it for you. Ask it for yourself. Am I chasing the wind? Am I on the treadmill? I don't know if you've ever been to a gym before, but you go in and those treadmills are all lined up. And there's almost like you can go on the treadmill and you can run, and there's almost like this, this hum of noise that just kind of numbs everything out. And, and I think so often we're running and running and running, we don't realize that we're not actually going anywhere. And that's what Solomon's saying here. He's saying, stop. Please stop. I went through years of brokenness until I finally realized that none of it was going to satisfy. And I'm telling you, fear God and keep his commandments. That's what's going to satisfy. That's what's going to bring you joy. That's what's going to bring you life. And I want you to imagine today if we were to live this out, 
Like if we were so satisfied in Jesus, like how would that change the way we lived on Monday? How would that change the way our coworkers and neighbors looked at us? Like, like who are you? Like in the midst of the hardest of trials, like you have a smile on your face and you can say that's, that's because of Jesus. Like take everything I have in this earth and I still have Jesus and Jesus is always enough. That's what Solomon is trying to get us here to recognize. He started the book like this, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And he ended it this way, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Ecclesiastes. Thank you for using it as a cattle prod to to kind of poke us, to wake us up. Lord, I just pray that we'd recognize today that it's so easy to be on the treadmill of life chasing the wind and only to die unhappy. And God, I just pray that as Christians, we would step into wholeness, that we would fear you, that we would obey your commandments for our joy and for your glory. We'd be so satisfied in Jesus that he is enough, Lord. We'd recognize that he is enough. We'd we'd understand what you meant when you said that you were the bread of life, that you satisfy our souls. Lord, be with us now as we consider these truths, that we live them out for your glory. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.